Empire Lines uncovers the unexpected, often two-way flows of empires through art. Interdisciplinary thinkers use individual artworks as artifacts of imperial exchange, revealing the how and why of the monolith empire. In this episode, Winnie C. and Pim Arts, curators at the Cobra Museum of Modern Art in the Netherlands, carve out the connections between Dutch, Danish and South African artists like Ernest Mankoba and see how African masks and sculptures encountered in European museums shaped abstract surrealism in the 20th century. I'm Pim Arts. I'm a curator of We Kiss the Earth, exhibition on Danish modern art from the 1930s and 40s in the Cobra Museum of Modern Art. I've worked in the museum for uh, two years to prepare this exhibition and now I'm uh, working as a freelancer to finish off this project that, that started actually already uh, for me in 2019. Hi, I'm Winnie C. I'm based in Cape Town, um, although I come from many other parts of the world. Uh, I've been researching Ernest Mankova since 2017 and also in that context, Sonia Ferloff Mankova. And as part of the research, actually, I've been speaking to the Cobra Museum of Modern Art about both artists' place in the Cobra art movement. And I'm so pleased to be included in the 75th anniversary exhibitions. Now, Cobra stands for Copenhagen, Brussels, Amsterdam three cities at the heart of a pan-European art movement. And here we see a triptych of exhibitions celebrating 75 years of COBRA. Pim, can you tell me what and who was at the heart of COBRA? Uh, COBRA started in 1948 when artists from uh, the Netherlands, Belgium and Denmark met. Central to, to their art is freedom, spontaneity, um, inspiration from... Uh, children's drawings from art by people that were then called mentally ill. It was anti-hierarchical and it was colorful and it was everything that didn't look back but looked forward only. Basically, the artists wanted to create art and were inspired by art uh, without the burden of art history. The um, three exhibitions celebrating uh, the beginning of Cobra this year focus on art from Denmark. In the Netherlands, uh, people often think that Cobra started out of nothing in uh, 1948, whereas in reality, Cobra had been in the making for almost 20 years in Denmark. One of the three exhibitions in this Danish triptych focuses on specifically those years before Cobra, where you can see Cobra's uh, happening already. And the other two exhibitions are on the Danish artist Overtachi. That was a big inspiration for one of the Danish artists within Cobra, Asko Jorn. The other exhibition is on Ferdinand van Mankova that really knows everything about. I'm glad that you mentioned the burden of art history because the influence of artists like Picasso and the abstract surrealism movement is very, very clear in these works, particularly the pre-war attraction to African masks in European art, which so many of these artists came across through ethnographic and colonial museums across Europe. In your exhibition, you suggest the Cobra artists engaged with this differently, though. It was a deeper and less exotifying encounter that they had with these objects. So what exactly was different? And tell me about some of the artists who were inspired by masks in particular. 
Yes. So what you see, for instance, with Cubist painters in the early parts of the 1920th century uh, was that they were very interested in masks formalistically, so in the in the shapes and forms and the patterns in, in, in masks. The Danish artists were also interested in those formal qualities of, of masks, but went a, a little bit deeper or, or further. They were also interested in the universal humanity that the masks represented. And they were interested in how peoples across the world represented themselves and others and were researching that to come to this universal interpretation of man and a representation of it. Sonia Fairloff played a role in it. She was born in 1911. She studied languages and went through the traditional um, art academies of Denmark. She joined the surrealist group Linien. So she's part of the Joie et Notre exhibition with her husband, Ernest Mankova. One of the largest private collection of African and to some smaller degree, Mesoamerican um, collection were owned by a Danish collector, Carl and his wife, Amalie Kiersmeyer. And they were family friends of Fairloff's parents and uncle, who also in their small way collected work. And the Kiersmeyers wrote one of the first earliest tombs, like late 1930s, early 1940s on African art. But they, they didn't just show pictures of like beautiful objects. They also explained about the people who made it. Like they would identify this mask comes from and they would use it for this. So it was quite respectful, especially for the time. And um, Fairloff grew up with friends and had access to this collection. And she wrote about it for the Danish Art Association catalog. And she arranged for some of the Danes to visit the collection. That also fed into their perception of African and other cultures' masks. One of the masks that really stands out in the first exhibition, We Kiss the Earth, is Red Mask by Ego Jakobsen. It's more abstract. He adds eyes and mouths rather than making it a kind of direct, realistic or figurative copy. And it almost seems like he's using abstraction as a way to try and avoid the Orientalism of the past. But another artist who is inspired by masks was Ernest Mankoba, who was born in British colonial South Africa in 1904. And he's the subject of the second exhibition. Winnie, who was he and how did he come to Europe? As you mentioned, he was born in British colonial South Africa in 1904. And he wanted to be an artist. But even back then, before official apartheid, uh, opportunities for Black Africans were very limited. But through reading a book and speaking to some of South Africans' eminent artists, he discovered that Paris was the place he needed to go. So he found his way there in 1938, um, and he met Sonia Fairloff. They were friends, but then quickly became lovers as well, and then eventually married in life. One of the things that always intrigued me when I was researching this was the mask was sometimes his subject matter. And, and in some ways, people think, okay, well, that's sort of natural because he's African. But... Because by the time he was growing up, the country had been colonized for 200 years. So if he had encountered masks, which I don't deny he would have, it would not have been formal because it was not what the colonizers would have done. Moreover, his studies were through Christian mission schools. The objects there would have tended to persuade, shall we say, the students towards Christian imagery and Christian values away from more traditional and heritage ancestry images. Then come to Mass, I think in Paris, when he went to the Musée de l'Homme and through um, his friendship and romance with Sonia Ferlov. That's not to diminish his work, but it's just interesting 
about how, you know, how maybe we assume things and how artists see things as well. In the exhibition, you suggest that despite being from South Africa, he doesn't come into contact with African sculpture in his country of birth. But I wonder whether it's more that it's African sculpture as art that he doesn't come into contact with. It's a good point. Like, did he see African objects in South Africa as art or not? He did say he he encountered villagers carving and he um, understood the symbolic reasons for them, but he never called it art. But then at the same time, he never called his own work art. He called them expressions. But he was very deeply inspired by a book called Primitive Negro Sculptures by Paul Guillaume and Thomas Munro, both white art historians. And it was introduced to him by his Lithuanian Jewish connection, Lippi Lipschitz in South Africa. How did that book influence his practice? The book you mentioned was really important to him. He talked about it in the last interview he gave in his life in 2001. That's how important it was to him. But it actually had a more immediate impact. He reads in 1936, he also makes a sculpture, sadly lost, called Faith. I found an image of it. Um, it's in the exhibition. And you can see it changed. Prior to reading the book, his work tended to be social realistic. But then with Faith, it became somewhere between abstraction and representation. Sort of like the way he understood African sculptures were, you know, that instead of being an idealized body, each part was does its own thing, and the artistry was in the artist finding the rhythm or the pattern that connects it all. Um, and, and so you could sort of see it as visually as um, abstract versus representational. But it also says that he wasn't copying the sculptures he saw in the book. He was in no way trying to make a pastiche of all these things. It was just his interpretation of what he thought the African plasticity and form making was about. And one of the other works that we see is the Black Madonna, who is this Western figure, but she's carved with a black African face. He was also inspired by Inuit sculptures that he came across in Greenland. And I wonder whether there's a connection there in the sense that Greenland was a kind of other in Scandinavian culture in the same way that these masks that we were just talking about were sort of othered in their encounters in Paris and in Europe. See, one thing I think that's really interesting about Mankova is I don't think he necessarily saw other as other. He, he talked about how he could see works by different cultures and it, it would move him to the core. And that, that's a phrase he used, even if it, he didn't know anything about the culture and even sometimes more than objects from his own culture. And I think that's maybe how he felt about the Greenland Inuit art and maybe also this lost African art. I mean, I personally don't think just because he's African, he had an innate understanding of African traditional art. And so he saw it as an interesting way to make art, spoke to his continent heritage, which must have also moved him. But I, I don't think he, he saw it as other, if you, if you see what I mean. Pim, what I love about these two exhibitions on the top floor of the Cobra Museum of Modern Art is that you do get to see the two-way flows and the connections between them and how Mancoba participated in these wider movements. It's so thoughtfully and gorgeously curated upstairs and we see the covers of the leading journals that Winnie mentioned earlier, Linian and Hellheston, which mean the lion and Hellhorse respectively. They're projected onto these huge curtains and screens which separate the space. 
Tell me about the symbol of the hell horse, because it's a very popular image in Scandinavian myth, but it's kind of transformed into a clumsy and sweet figure in the hands of these artists. It is, it is. So hell or the hell horse, is actually the most frightening creature in Northern mythology. It rides uh, over a churchyard in the, in the middle of the night, and it announces death and sickness. It's a very scary creature, and the Germans, or the Nazis occupying Denmark at that time, were very much involved and fond of Northern mythology because it was from the Vikings and it was Aryan, everything they liked about Denmark. And they saw Denmark as a model country within their bigger empire. They saw the Danes as Uber mentioned, and Northern mythology was an important part of it. But what the Danes did, they used this most scary creature and turned it into this clumsy horse, which made it like an act of resistance almost to make a fool of the occupying Nazis in Denmark. And they didn't only use it in the name of their magazines, they also created images of it in a very uh, expressionist or degenerate way in the German's eyes and used those images on the covers of their magazines. And the magazines were openly distributed. They were for sale in bookstores. The occupier didn't seem to notice or to care. A funny situation. And I think the common thread amongst these very diverse artists and their practices is that they're all very politically and socially engaged at the time. This is the context of the Second World War. As we now mark 75 years since the Cobra movement, what do you hope is the legacy of it? And how is the museum still living these objectives that we spoke about earlier today? Cobra art is about freedom Uh, freedom of expression, it's about spontaneity, it's colorful and diverse. Those themes are at the heart of uh, our collection and programming because the museum wants to exhibit art that has generally fallen outside of the recent canons and we want to expand um, the way we uh, look at art. And that's, for instance, why we are now programming these three Danish exhibitions at the beginning of our 75 years of Cobra celebrations because Danish art has always fallen outside of the scope of the traditional avant-garde that we always thought were in France and in Germany, uh, but not in Denmark. And an artist like Overtouchy that we are also programming in our downstairs exhibition was never taken very seriously because she was only an outsider artist. And... Farrah and Mancoba were not taken very seriously in the last couple of decades because uh, she was a woman and he was a black artist. I think both Mancoba and Fairloff always said that you can't divorce art from life, that you can't be like an artist and then as, as a profession and then live a, a different way. They thought, in fact, that the purpose of art was to help people become better human beings, I, I guess, for, for a very blunt way of saying it. I find that incredible because they both lived very difficult, hard lives. Mankoba grew up in a segregated society and he went to Europe seeking freedom and then he gets imprisoned in war. They find um, artistic friends, but then they also have really hard, very humble lives, shall we say. And through it all, through the anger, because he wasn't naive, oh, let's all be happy people. He was also very angry. He felt that we had to find something in common Because if we didn't find something in common, then the wars and the segregation could only continue. And so that was the purpose of art, to help us find something in common. 
for him, that what was in common was the fact that every people he came across had a creativity he, he admired and respected. And so for him, he could see that as a common ground. For Fairloft, she saw it as like the selfish individual, but then the need to also be part of society, to be part of a group. And I think in their art, they tried really hard to express that by way of just sending out a message to everyone. What are we here for, really? That was supposed to be the Cobra message coming out of post-World War II. Are we going to have a World War III, right? So find some kind of a common ground amidst all the suffering. And it's a message that remains very powerful, I think, today. Winnie, Pim, thank you both ever so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. It's fun. Thanks for your great questions. The three exhibitions of Cobra 75 Danish Modern Art run at the Cobra Museum of Modern Art in the Netherlands until the 14th of May 2023. For more, you can read my review of Cobra 75 in Go With Yamo. You'll find all the links in the episode notes. Empire Lines is produced by Jelena Sofronievich. For more episodes, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm waiting for Pim to introduce Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Want to see everything the UK's art scene has to offer, but overwhelmed by choice? Go With Yamo are there to help with their free app, providing a comprehensive location-based guide to exhibitions around the country. You can explore artworks from current and future exhibitions near you and collect points with every gallery visit to exchange for prints, art-filled experiences and more in their in-app store. Whether you're looking for displays of old masters or the latest in cutting-edge contemporary art, Go With Yamu has you covered with thousands of galleries across the UK, from national collections to the hidden gems of galleries found in every city.